You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. The amazing church. In the first week, we looked at Barnabas. If you remember, he was the uh, son of encouragement. We talked about how he would help collapse the barrier, how he would connect the brotherhood. He would connect the believers. He'd bring them all together. And about how he would help to carry the burden. And he also cared for the broken. Then last Sunday, we looked at more of what I believe the church should be about. And then we talked about how the early church and how those on the outside were looking in. And when they looked in, they were amazed. They were astonished at what was going on inside the church. And I said, this is the kind of church that I'm striving that for us to become. Now, last Sunday, for those of you who were in here at the 10 o'clock, we had two phenomenal missions reports from two outstanding missions representatives. If you weren't here uh, during that Sunday school hour, you really missed out. Now, we are a missions-minded church as we should be. And if I gave a call right now to give sacrificially to help our international missionaries, some of you could do so, some of you would do so, and some might not, but everyone would agree that this is a good, wise, and necessary use of our fund and is a part of our core, uh, is a core part of LBT's mission and the Great Commission. You agree with that? Now, having said that, why is it that when we talk about something more, even something more immediate, even more timely, and more pressing, the lost souls and needs of our community, as well as the giving that is necessary for that to happen, all of a sudden, many begin to question whether or not they should give more or even give at all. Please listen to me. All giving supports missions. Let me say that again. All giving supports missions. It's just that if you think about it, it's just that we often fail to recognize that week-to-week or month-to-month tithes is vital to the local church mission. We have lots of ministries that go on here in our church, and that is supported by the local church budget. So today I want to talk about why money matters to the church, and most of all, God himself. An amazing church is one who gives to support the local mission of the church. Now we know that any wise investor expects a return on his money that he or she invests. Right? Now, right now, it's a little rocky, isn't it? Inflation is a little high, isn't it? It's real high, isn't it? And in the same way, though, God has demands for a return on His investment for us and in us. God has given each of us valuable resources to build His kingdom. Resources like time, resources like money and gifts. And today, I'm going to challenge you to take an honest look on how you're handling what God has provided. 
Someone has said that life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. Amen? It is true that our life is very brief here on earth. But here's the paradox. How we spend our fleeting moments on this earth determines how we spend eternity. And that is the truth that Jesus continually drove home to his followers. And it's the truth that we see explained by the Lord one last time before he actually reaches the cross. Today, the Lord is going to tell a parable that instructs all of us how we ought to live our lives in that period of time between Christ's resurrection and certain return to earth. Now, if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, or again, you can follow on the screen. You remember Zacchaeus, the wee, wee little man? The wee, wee little man was he, right? You remember that? You remember he was a tax collector. He was our favorite person. He worked for the IRS, amen? Right? He was an outcast. He was the kind of person that Jesus came to save. Jesus said in verse 10 of Luke 19, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost. But if you remember, after the Lord, he found the Lord, and he sought God's forgiveness. Remember what Zacchaeus did? He said, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. Not only that, I'm going to, those I've cheated, I'm going to pay back four times as much. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. You see, it's not that Zacchaeus purchased his salvation by giving his money. But his willingness to be freed from greed proved he had received salvation. And this is a theme that you see over and over again in Jesus' teaching. Jesus often talked about money. Have you noticed in the book of Luke how many times Jesus actually talked about money? Have you noticed that? In fact, when you add it up, I've said this many times before. Jesus spoke more, he's, listen, he spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. So shouldn't I? Remember, I'm just a messenger, okay? Why did Jesus speak so much about money? Well, two reasons. First of all, Jesus taught us that how we handle our money is a good barometer of our priorities in life. I mean, you can talk a good game about your devotion to Christ, but where you put your money shows what your real priorities are. Now, just examine your checkbook register or your online account, your debit card, or your credit card statement, or better yet, how many of y'all like Etsy? I do. Don't lie. How many of you like Etsy? Raise your hand. Amen. Amazon, you ever heard of it? Okay. PayPal? Apple Pay? They're still taking cash in different places. They still take cash, y'all know? But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Where you spend your money shows better than anything else where your real priorities in life are. Not only is money a barometer of our priorities, but secondly, Jesus said, how we handle our money is what? A test of our faithfulness to God himself. A test of our faithfulness to God. Yes, money's a little thing to God. It's a very little thing to God. 
But how we handle that money is a real test of our faithfulness. And you see both points emphasized once again in the passage we've come to today. A story that Jesus told his followers. Now let's look at the setting for this parable. First of all, verse 11. As they heard these things. What things? Well, just what happened in verses 1 through 10. Everything he had said to Zacchaeus and those who were around him. Verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to what? Tell a parable. Because he was near, where? Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now understand, we're in the final week of Christ's life here on earth. They were coming from Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, just a few hours away from the city for this final week before the crucifixion. And yet, after three years of being with Jesus, the disciples still didn't get it. They thought that they were going to Jerusalem for the coronation of the king, King Jesus. They didn't realize they were going for the crucifixion of Jesus. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear then. Immediately, he was going to the city of David. And he would sit on the throne of David. He would rule over the world who, and put the Romans in their place. And they still didn't get it. Now, the fact is, Jesus would come again as king. But before, listen to this, but before he could come as king, he had to be offered to, as the suffering servant for what? The sins of the world. They still didn't get that. And he told them this parable. And this parable begins with a nobleman's journey. Look at verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself, what? A kingdom and then return. Now, Jesus used parables to illustrate a spiritual truth with an earthly experience. Some people define a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus would use the familiar to really explain the unfamiliar. Now to us, we read this. A king goes to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself. Now you ask, what, what is that all about? But Jesus' followers understood exactly what was going on here. Because they had witnessed this in their own history. What do I mean by that? A king had to give authority to reign from whoever the emperor happened to be in Rome. And remember Herod the Great? He was the king of Israel. He had died and for th about 35 years before this in 4 BC. And Herod the Great, if you remember, was the king over Israel. But he received the right to be king from the emperor in Rome. And so when King Herod the Great died in 4 BC... His kingdom of Israel was split among his three sons. And each of those sons, even though they inherited the kingdom from their father, they had to go to Rome to get the emperor, if you remember, Augustus, to give them permission to rule over the kingdom. Now, one of Herod's three sons, Archelaus. Archelaus became king over Judea, Samaria, and Edomia. But he wasn't like his dad, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was actually pretty good to the Jewish people. He wanted to keep peace with them. 
And so he tried to get favor any way that he could. And one of the things he did, listen to this, was to pay for a massive expansion of the temple. So the Jews liked Herod the Great for the most part. However, Archelaus said, I'm not going to baby these Jews like my father did. I'm going to show them who's boss. You know what he did? And so in one instant, he killed, you remember how many? 3,000 Jewish men at a single time. And so these Jews hated Archelaus. So when Archelaus went to Rome to assume the right to rule over Judea, 50 Jewish men also traveled to Rome to protest to Caesar about Archelaus. They said, we do not want to have this man rule over us. Now that's the background here of a certain king who goes to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself. But this distant king that Jesus is talking about in the parable isn't Archelaus. Are you following me? He's talking about himself. Just as a human king would go to a distant land to receive the right to rule, so Jesus, after he finished his mission on earth of dying for the sins of the world, after his death and resurrection, what did he do? He ascended where? Into heaven. He went to that distant country. His mission was accomplished. Ephesians 1.22 says this. Because of that, he received from God the Father the right to rule over all creation. And please understand, one day, King Jesus is coming back to rule the earth as he promised he would. And trust me, it's coming. And that's what this is a picture of. Here is a king who goes to a distant country to receive his right to rule. Now look at verse 13. Notice what this king did before he left on his journey. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. If you have uh, King James, it says pounds. A mina was a measure of currency. A mina represented 100 denarii. A denarius was one day's wage. Today is at about 16 cents. A hundred denarii, therefore, would be about three months' worth of wages of a common wage. So the king gets, he calls together ten of his slaves, and he says, I'm going to give you a fourth of your yearly salary. I'm going to give you that much money. Now, why did he do that? Well, it wasn't appreciation gift before he left town. He's very clear about what the assignment was. He said, I'm going to give each of you a mina. Do business with this, with this until I come back. In other words, make my money grow while I'm gone. Now, the stated reason that he gave each of these slaves a mina was he wanted to increase his wealth. The unstated reason that we'll see in a moment was this would be a test for his slaves to see how much the king could entrust them in the future. So in reality, a mina wasn't that much money to the king. It was a small sliver of his entire net worth. But how these slaves used that mina would be a test. Now again, there's an obvious parallel here. Jesus, our king, is in a distant land. You remember, heaven. And he is coming back again. 
But in the meantime, while we're on earth, he has entrusted each of us a certain amount of money as well as gifts and time and opportunity. So don't miss this. How we use the treasure God has given to us, which is on loan, by the way, is a test of our faithfulness to him. A test which will have eternal ramifications. That's what this parable is about. Now, what's interesting is there are some people, as we'll see in just a moment, who absolutely are opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule or reign over us. So before the nobleman left on his journey to that distant country to receive the right to rule, a group of citizens said, we hate you. And we're going to go to that distant land and protest your right to rule. We've never had any protests in America over anything, have we? Now that's what happened with Archelaus. Now some of those citizens, they went to Rome to protest. They are pictures of those who were adamantly and clearly opposed to Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you run into those kinds of people in your life right now? People who hate the Jesus of the Bible? People who hate the standards that are found in God's Word? They are adamantly opposed to Him. Ever run into anybody like that? But there are other people who outwardly don't oppose Christ. In fact, sometimes they appear to be followers of Christ. But they are just as much adversaries of Jesus as those who are openly opposed to him because they do not do what the Lord commanded them to do. We'll see that in a moment. Now look at the nobleman's return in verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom... He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. Haven't I heard this story before? This sure sounds like something I've read in the Bible before about the talents in Matthew, right? Well, there is a similar scripture there, passage in Matthew 25. And it talks, too, about a king that went on a journey. And before he left, he called his servants together But he gave them a certain amount of talents, right? Everybody different. Now, talent was another measure of money. A talent was 80 pounds of gold. And remember, to the one he gave what? Five talents. Another one he gave two, and to another one he gave one, okay? Now, that was a different story told to a different audience. But there are some parallels between the stories, but there's some differences. And that's what I want us to see. In that story... The king gave differing amounts of money. And this one, he gave the same amount of money. You know, both things are true. Think about this. In some ways, God has given us all different amounts of money and talent and opportunities to serve him. But in another sense, he has given us all the same. For example, he is giving every single one of us the same number of hours in a day. Do you realize that? Doesn't matter if you're a factory worker, a school teacher, an attorney, or whatever. You get 24 hours a day. 
And what you do with those hours is a measure of your faithfulness to God. Well, in this particular parable that Jesus is telling us, everybody got the same amount. But in the Matthew version, it says that after a long time, the master returned. That is, he had been away longer than his servants expected him to be away. And see, we see that same thing today. There are a lot of people who think the Lord is not coming back again because he's been gone a long time. Frankly, he's been gone longer than most people thought he would be. The Apostle Paul thought Jesus would return in his day. Did you know that? And just about every generation has thought this would be the generation the Lord returns. But you know, 2 Peter 3, the Apostle said, remember this. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. For with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Now, I want you to see this. The only reason the Lord has delayed his coming is to give people an opportunity to repent. Do you believe that? But he is coming back again. And that's what we see right here in Luke 19, 15. It came about that when he returned, what did he do? Well, he wanted an accounting of those who professed to serve him. So look at verse 15 again. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. There is coming a time, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I are going to be evaluated by Jesus Christ. We call it the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may be rewarded for what we have done in the body, whether it be good or worthless. This is the evaluation. Now, I want you to notice the servant's evaluation in verses 16 and 17. The first came before him saying, Lord, your miner has made ten miners before more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over, look at this, ten cities. The New Testament scholar, William Barclay, notices that there are three components of this evaluation. First of all, there is a commendation. The king says to him, well done, because you know what you've earned? One thousand percent return. One mina, you returned into ten minas. That was a commendation. And then secondly is the reasoning. You have been faithful in a very little thing. That is, he is saying, you did what I told you to do. You did something practical. You did business with my money. Remember that comment from Hudson Taylor, the missions leader who said, a little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. So this king was saying, you know what? That one minor, it wasn't that significant. But you took a little thing, one minor, and you did something great with it. And that leads to thirdly, a promotion. Because you have been faithful in this little thing, this minor 
I will give you authority over ten cities. Faithfulness in the little thing. One manna. Returning in a big assignment. Ruling over ten cities. You know, one of the truths about a place called heaven is the fact that all of us are going to be standing and evaluated before the judgment seat of Christ and will be rewarded, listen, for our faithfulness or a lack of our faithfulness. Heaven will not be the same for every Christian. 2 Corinthians 2, 12. If we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. You see, some people will be given a city to rule over. Some will be given a nation to rule over. Some will be rulers over the earth. Some will be rulers over galaxies and perhaps other earths. But we will be rewarded by our faithfulness. And you know, if the idea, now hear this, of being in authority over anything for eternity makes you want to go to hell rather than heaven, don't panic here, okay? Because maybe your reward is going to take another form. But make no mistake about it. Faithfulness results in rewards. That's what Jesus is teaching right here. The first servant, he gave a 10 to one return. Pretty impressive. Now look at the second servant. And the second servant came saying, Your manna, master, has made five manas. Now he earned half the return. Man, it was still a 500% return. How many of y'all take 500% on your investment? Amen? Pretty good, wouldn't you say? But we don't know why he earned less. Perhaps he didn't make a wise investment. Perhaps there were external circumstances. Nevertheless, he was rewarded as well proportionately. Verse 19, he said to him, And you are to be over how many cities? Five. Again, Jesus rewards proportionately according to what we do for him. But then the bulk of the attention is focused on the other servant, the third servant. Look at, first of all, his inaction. And another came saying, Master, behold your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. Now that word handkerchief refers to a bandana that was torn around, worn around a person's head. It was the least safest way, right, to protect something, to hide something, especially in Jesus' day. Money that was just placed in a handkerchief, as you know, can easily be discovered and stolen. So if you wanted to hide money, it made a lot more sense to take a little effort, make a little effort, and dig a hole in the ground and bury the money, or put it in the bank and earn a little bit of interest. You see there? Banking is a part of God's plan. There you go. To earn a little bit of interest. That's not against Scripture. The Bible commends banking. He said, if you want to earn a little bit of interest, put it in the bank. But that's not what he did. He did something very risky uh, with his master's money. He just hid it. You ever hid any of God's money? Why would he do such a thing? Verse 21 Here's his rationale. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. I mean, this is a, an amazing, illogical 
response. It's amazing that he would actually accuse his master of being a thief. He said, well, the reason I did what I did was you're an unfair guy and you're a thief. You take what is not yours. Why would you say that to your boss? Why would you say that to a king that could take your life? And yet, don't you find people making the same response to God today? Have you noticed how some people, when they feel confronted about the sin in their own life, their conscience starts to speak to them? What do they do? They lash out against God. They accuse Him of being unloving, unfair, unkind, unjust. Have you heard some of the things people are willing to say about God, the blasphemy that they engage in? See, that's what happens when you feel confronted about your own sin. So this guy just lashes out against the king's character. Well, let me close this out. Here's the principle. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources on this earth will determine how it will be for you in eternity. Do you know how many Christians actually give 10% of their gross income, gross income to their local church? It's between 5 and 7%. 5 and 7%. So let me just rephrase that another way. 93 to 95% of all believers never even get to the first level of giving. And yet God has made more promises in the Bible about giving than anything else. Why? Because God is a giver. And he wants us to become like him. Everything we have in life is because God is generous. You know, when the IRS, you filed your taxes, they didn't look to see what gas costs. They're getting their money. Amen? But it ain't their money. It's all God's money. God can get his money. God has more promises in the Bible about giving than anything else. Everything we have in life, again, is because of God's generosity. But giving is hard to do. You know why? Because it challenges our selfishness. So God rewards us when we do it. All of this points to our heart. You remember what Matthew says. Where our treasures are focused shows where our heart is. One of the best ways to battle our desire to be selfish is to take a step of generosity. And I want to challenge you to take just one small step. And I want you to pray about taking one small step of generosity. This is what I mean. Look at this up here. If you go to our website, you'll see this. This is a generosity ladder. First time giver. Someone who has not yet given to Lama Baptist Temple. Second, occasional giver. Someone who gives but not consistently. Three, consistent giver. Someone who gives consistently at a level less than 10% of their income. Four, 10% giver, someone who gives the 10% of their income. Five, extravagant giver, someone who gives above and beyond 10% of their income. And then what I really do love too is the legacy giver, someone who thinks past this year and moves toward a long-term 
impact. You see, it's all about the heart. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Some people say, well, you know, they're after my money. Let me explain something to you. I've said this before. God is after your money because he's after your heart and your heart is connected to your wallet. And I guarantee you, I've seen it. There's a string from your heart to your wallet because I've watched people when they start to reach back. Man, it just hurts. It just hurts. If God can get your wallet, please listen to me. He'd get your heart and I'm not the one that said it. Jesus said, where your treasure is. There your heart will be also, because your heart follows your treasure. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? Maybe today's the day you make a commitment to give for the first time. For others, it may be working your way to a full tithe. And still others, it may be to give more above and beyond. As I said earlier, God has given us all different gifts and talents. But we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And what you do with those hours is a measure of your faithfulness to God. But what about your faith and relationship with the Lord? That's the main thing. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you know where you'd go if you died today? Well, you can know that today before you leave by just praying this prayer silently. Just pray this in your heart. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe you died on the cross. And on the third day, Lord, you arose from the dead. And God, one day you're coming back to get me. Because now I know you as Lord and Savior. Now, Father, I don't just accept you as Lord and Savior. But God, I ask that you help me to follow in baptism. And take the first step of obedience, Lord. From becoming a brand new Christian. If you prayed that prayer today, it's the greatest thing you've ever done. And maybe you'll come down and tell one of us pastors what you did. But thank you for doing that today. For others of you, whatever your struggle is in life, whatever you need, maybe you just need some healing in your own life. If you see anything you want to come pray about today, as always, this altar would be open. Father, we love you and we thank you that today, Lord, those of us who know you, we know that our future is in heaven. And Lord, as the song says, Lord, we praise you for what you've already done. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, whatever needs to happen in this place today, we pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.